Tonight's scripture reading comes from Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we open up your word and as we uh, look to it, God, we um, we ask your blessing on the preaching of your, of your word, God, all the time. But particularly, we ask your blessing over the next month as we will have several guest preachers, um, as as we will have um, several um, men in our church who are preaching for the first time. Um, God, we ask that you would, um, bless them in, in their endeavor as they, as they, uh, take on that responsibility. Um, God, as they step out in faith, um, uh, to, to share, um, your word with your people. Um, God, it is an incredible thing that you do as you have revealed your word to us. God, as we are given the, the calling and the privilege to expound upon your word, God, the way that you use your word and the preaching of your word um, to mold and shape our hearts, God, to convict us of sin, to open our eyes to the goodness and graciousness of Christ, 
God, to call us into greater faithfulness and greater service towards you. God, you use your word in an incredible way. And so um, we want to, um, God, be worthy of that. Uh, we want to take that responsibility uh, incredibly seriously. Um, and God, we pray, pray your blessing um, on it, that you would use it um, each one of these weeks as we go through the month of July, as we look to your Psalms, as we look to the songbook that you have given us um, from the people of Israel, as you display your character and display our situation, God, you you reveal so many different aspects and facets of, of our life and, and being in your Psalms. God, we look forward to to going through them and and hearing from our brothers. And uh, God, we just ask that you would use it to grow your church. God, we ask a blessing on the churches of Blunt County this Sunday. Um, we ask uh, your blessing um, on on each gospel believing congregation. We ask that um, as we enter this time of year, when many churches are doing um, VBSs and and having. Um, summer of events, um, special times of outreach and different things like that. God, we pray that you would bless those endeavors. Um, God, there would be opportunities to meet people from our communities, to, to welcome them into our, um, churches, to familiarize them and, uh, just give them a sense of, of the, um, God, the, the openness and the welcomeness um, of, of those congregations, God, that you would use it as an opportunity for the word of God to start being taught and preached in their lives, that they would hear the good news um, and be saved, that the saved would hear your word and be sanctified, God, and that we would be encouraged in, in the faith. Um, we ask that for all, again, all our brother and sister congregations. We ask that for for Baptist churches and and Presbyterian churches and Methodist churches and and uh, charismatic churches, God, we ask any Bible believing, gospel teaching church. Um, we have differences, Lord, but we uh, we believe that you can work um, even in places where we would not have full agreement with other people. That you are still, and even in those churches, calling people to your Son Jesus Christ, calling them to repent of sin and believe on Christ alone. And so um, we acknowledge your greater mission in our community, God, um, and we ask that you would bless all those who are faithful to it. Father, we love you. Uh, we praise you. Um, we ask these things in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump into um, uh, the Psalms. We're kind of starting, I guess, one week early because we kind of had this in-between week. And so uh, I decided we would just go ahead and jump into the Psalms. Each of the weeks in July, we will have uh, whoever is preaching that week will be, be preaching um, out of the Psalms um, during that week. And so um, Psalms 40 was a, was a, in my own personal reading of the scriptures, my kind of daily reading, there was a while back where I came across Psalm 40. I read it that day and it spoke to me specifically. And I just thought, man, I want to preach through that Psalm. And so that's one of the ones that I'm going to preach. I'm preaching it today. Something that I've told the guys that are preaching who have never preached before. And this is just maybe one piece of advice, but it's something particularly with the Psalms. As you probably all recognize, like when you read a psalm like the one we read today, every single one of those lines in that psalm, there's a, there's a point there. We could we could zoom in on every one of them and, and have a completely different sermon about a completely different topic. There's just a ton of content within a psalm. And so, but what I've what I've suggested to these guys as they're getting ready to preach is try to find sort of a narrative thread 
by which you can preach that psalm, right? You don't have to hit every single concept that's in it because you can't. There's not enough time in a single sermon to do that. But try to find, you know, for lack of a better word, try to find a story, right? Try to find a theme that you can follow as you go through each of these psalms. And that's kind of what I'm going to do tonight with this idea of testifying, okay? Um, what I want to talk about tonight is is the, the title of the sermon is Somebody Testify. And so I don't know your background in terms of churches or whatever, but if you've come from a, a more charismatic background or something like that, a lot of Baptist circles, there is this idea in those churches of, uh, of having these testifying times, right? So, so the, the, sometimes even as, as the worship is going and maybe in the middle of the service or maybe in the middle of a song or maybe at the end of the, uh, of the service, somebody will say, Hey, does anybody want to testify? And it is an opportunity for that person to get up. And and talk about what God is doing. Talk about what God has shown them. Just share a story or a way God has met needs or something like that, right? So here's the deal. I think that's something that we need more of, but not just in our services, right? I think what, it's something that I know I'm lacking in my own life, but what's something we need is people who are followers of Jesus Christ who are more Typically and regularly and just as a function of their thankfulness in living their life are talking about what God has done for them, right? Um, it's not something that we hide. It's not something that we only talk about when we're around Christian people who will understand, right? It's just something that I wish we were more um, uh, easy about. Right. Yeah. Like, I just wish we did it more. I wish I did it more. Anytime I see somebody out doing that, like it always strikes me and I'm always convicted by it. And then I still find myself not doing it. So I've been in line here at Vienna before and like I'll be standing behind somebody and they'll come to the register and the girl at the register will say, you know, how's your day going? And then every once in a while, you'll find somebody and they'll just start talking about their relationship with God, right? Oh, man, God's really been blessing me today because of this. Or I've been going through a really hard time and God has met me in this way. Or God's been teaching me this today. And it does, it feels weird. I'm going to be straight up. It feels weird. It feels out of place a little bit. And I go, yeah, man, that's, I want to feel, I want to feel out of place when it comes to these things. I want people out there to see that this is, this, this is a real relationship that Christians have. Um, with their God. And I want them to testify about that. So the tr the theme that I'm tracing through this passage is a picture of that, okay? So I'm going to talk about kind of at the beginning of it um, is three aspects of testifying, like three different ways that we can kind of testify. And then I'm going to talk about four different groups that we testify to. Or maybe a better way to say it is when we testify, how does that testifying affect different groups in different ways, okay? Now, again, this is just one way of going through it. I'm, I'm sure somebody else could come along and zoom in on other things, but this is just going to, this is going to be the tack that we're going to take. Okay. So let's start with that first idea. Three different aspects of testifying. So what I would mean by that is this. What do we say? Like, what are we saying? What are we sharing with people when we testify to something? Chapter 40, verse one. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Okay, so the, the way I want you to think of it already is he is testifying. So imagine this is a guy who gets up and he says, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. 
Okay? Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. And then he starts talking and he says this, okay? He starts out by recounting the way God has saved him and changed his life. And so we look at the sort of illustration, okay? So he talks about this pit that he had fallen into, okay? And the pit is, is a common metaphor in the Old Testament. You go through the, read through the Old Testament, you'll hear people talking about falling into the pit a lot. That pit represents death, represents destruction. Um, it is the trap that we all find ourselves in in terms of sin. Sometimes it is even directly a reference to the grave or to hell. Okay. And so he says, man, I, 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 I had fallen into this pit of destruction. And then it goes on and gives this other picture, this miry bog. All right. A less common metaphor in the scriptures, but it adds an aspect to what we're thinking of. This pit is not just a hole that we can climb out of on our own. This pit that we are in is this miry bog. It is this, the idea of this inescapability of it. All right. This hopelessness of it. Probably many of you have read uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and there's the slow or the swamp of despond, right? This place where tr- the, the Christians along the path of, of heading to the heavenly city, they get stuck in this mire and they can't um, get themselves out. As a Gen Xer, um, and probably um, some of you millennials too, um, you probably remember one of the most scarring moments of your cinematic childhood, and that was when Artex uh, sank into the miry swamp of sadness in the movie The NeverEnding Story, right? So there's a scene where the dude has his horse, and the horse literally drowns to death in the, the swamp of sadness, okay? That's kind of the picture that we've got going on here, okay? That's the situation in which the psalmist was in. He says, I was in this pit of destruction, I was in this miry bog. And again, I don't know if you've ever been like somewhere that's been like that kind of mud and clay. Like, have you ever had to walk in like knee deep mud for some reason? Um, I've been as a kid on granddad's farm at different times having to do work in the barnyard in the middle of rainstorms and things like that. And like, you're literally stepping in mud that goes up to your knees and you're trying to get your legs out. And it's like a suction, right? You can't get out. That's the picture that he has. But then he says, what has God done? What did God do? That was the situation I found myself in. But what has God done? He has rescued me from this inescapable destruction, right? From this miry pit. He's put my feet on solid ground. He reached down and lifted me up out of it and and put me on solid ground. He made my steps, my path secure, he says. And he put a new song in my mouth. That is, he gave me a new attitude, a new outlook on life that was centered on God and the praise of God. Okay, And so basically what he's describing in this whole scene is he's describing his own salvation. He's describing his salvation of being taken out of the miry bog of sin and given this new life of, of devotion to God. And, and he announces that he believes in the power of this testimony. So he's telling everybody about God's salvation. And what does he say at the end? Verse, at the end of verse 3, he says, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So he says, I'm going to tell you how God saved me. And when I do, the effect of that is going to be many will hear and see, or many will see and fear, and they're going to put their trust in the Lord. This is the first aspect of of us testifying. We tell people about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We're just talking about evangelism here. We're talking about telling people your testimony as we testify, okay? And we believe that telling people our testimony 
testifying about God's saving power is going to have an effect. It's going to do something. People are going to see, people are going to fear, and they are going to turn to the Lord. I've said many times, I'll repeat it a hundred more times. I think one of the main reasons that we don't share our faith with people is because we don't think it's going to do anything. We feel like we're going to tell them something, it's going to be awkward for a few minutes, and then everybody's going to go about their business and nothing's going to change. And we just decide to ourselves, you know what, I should probably just keep my mouth shut and not mention this or whatever. But interestingly, the psalmist says, that's not what I think is going to happen. He says, I'm going to tell you about the way God has saved my life. And people are going to turn to the Lord because of it. Okay, so he's trusting that his testifying is going to have that effect first. All right. Um, a second, a second truth that testimony, that testifying about salvation, but not only about salvation itself, but about how God has just blessed you. Okay. I wish we talked more just in general about the ways that God is blessing us and meeting our needs on a regular basis. Verse four, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. We have a tendency to follow our own wisdom, right? Typically to live after the lie of the world, particularly when it comes to our blessings. So we feel like our skill, our ambition, our hard work, our wisdom will create the things that we need and want and whatever, right? But the truly wise person traces all of their blessedness to the Lord. All right. And then he tells us about it. He says, this is the kind of things that the Lord has done. Verse five, you have multiplied, oh Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Right. Imagine the scenario where you walk up to somebody and they say, hey, man, how you doing? And you give some sort of, oh, well, you know, pessimistic answer or, oh, well, better than I deserve or, oh, well, things are kind of difficult right now or, oh, it's been a bummer of a day or whatever. What if you were to say, somebody said, man, how, how's your day going? And you say, and I'm blessed beyond recognition. I can't even count the number of ways that God is taking care of me. God is meeting my needs. Let me start to recount some of the different ways that God is meeting those needs and taking care of me. Let me tell you the ways that he has blessed me. Let me tell you what he's doing in my, with my children and with my family and with my church and with my community and with my work and all these things like that. What if that was the way we talk to people? Like, again, I think the case would be is people would hear that and go, gosh, I wish my day was going that good. Um, I wish, I wish I had half of those blessings. All I have in my life are a bunch of difficulties and trials. I wish I could say that I have such a positive outlook on, on the world. Tell people all the ways that God is blessing. Make it a normal thing to say. Illnesses healed. Children prayed for. Relationships mended. Needs supplied. Timely advice or opportunities made available to you. Tell people about how God has answered prayers that you've prayed, how he's cared for you in the middle of trials, how he's ministered to you in the midst of sufferings, how he's guided you through uncertainty in difficult situations, right? Because what does he say? He says, the Lord has multiplied both his wondrous deeds and his, and his thoughts towards, towards us. He has done all the incredible things for us. 
And then more than that, his, he's multiplied his thoughts towards us. Think about that. God is mindful of us. Okay. It does not feel like that all the time. It doesn't feel like God's mindful of us. Sometimes we just feel like we're out here on an island and, and we don't know where God is at, but the psalmist is sure that God is mindful of us and that he has multiplied that. He is turning his face towards you. He is paying attention to you. He is caring for you. His, he is intervening for you. We should tell people about that. We should testify not only to God's salvation, but to God's blessing. All right? Third, we should testify. Testify what God is teaching you right now. Testify the ways and the things that God is teaching you as you go to him in his word. Verse six, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. That's a cool line. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is written is within my heart. OK, so the psalmist, interestingly, watch this. He doesn't. He doesn't come and recount all that he has done for the Lord. God is not impressed with our sacrifices. He's not impressed with our burnt offerings and sin offerings. I made a comment to somebody, and I can't remember who it was. It was one of y'all, but we had listened to a person share a message at a certain time. And, and I made the comment to him. I said, man, I don't doubt the guy's sincerity, and I don't doubt um, his, his, his faith and things like that. But there was a whole lot in that message that he said about what he had done about all the different ways that he had served and all the different places that he had been and all the different ways that he had done these things. We have a tendency to feel like that sometimes. We want to give credence or validity to how God has worked in us. And the way we think we should do that is by showing all the great things that we've done for God, right? So if we're like, man, if you're really serious about following God, then there ought to be a list after that of all the great things that you have done for God. And we usually throw in some little caveat in the midst of telling people about those things like, now I don't say this to draw attention to me. I'm just saying this to glorify God. And here's the deal. You may be honest about that. Like I'm not impugning people's character. I'm not saying that they're lying to us. But the reality is this. When you sit there and tell us about how much you've done for God, it's hard not to think we're talking about what you've done for God. Okay? Um, But the psalmist doesn't do that. In this passage, instead, the psalmist draws attention not to all the things that he has done, but he draws attention to the things that he has been given in the ways that God has what that has given him an open ear. So that's a Hebrew like idiom expression, and it literally has the context of digging out your ears. Okay, it's almost like now. Here's the deal: it's 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 at first you're like, oh, you're like earwax or something like that, like you're cleaning out somebody's ears and getting so that they can hear. But it's even more than that. It's actually the idea that God dug out your ears and formed them, right? Almost like at creation when He dug the holes to make your ears so that you could hear His word, so that you could learn the things that He had for you. And so the the psalmist is not exalting in the things that he's done for God, but he's exalting in the fact that God has given the ability to receive the truth and teaching that God has for him, the mind to comprehend it, the heart to receive the word of God. He exalts what he's really, he wants to advertise to the world. What he wants to testify about is not what God has allowed him to do, 
but what God is teaching him and allowing him to know and learn and believe. So it reminds me of the passage in Jeremiah 9, where he says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord, right? What does God want you to know? He wants you to know him, right? He's way more concerned about the fact that you know him than about the things that you have maybe done for him. Yeah, not to say those things are bad. And certainly our faith should result in actions and change life. But that's not what he focuses on. He says, I want to testify about what God is teaching. So I would say this to you as well. Are you doing that, right? Are you learning in, in God's word regularly so that you can turn to people and say, hey, let me tell you what God's teaching me right now. If I walk up to you and say, let's have a conversation about something, you can say, well, cool, let me tell you about what God has been teaching me through his word, what he's been revealing to me through his word um, recently, okay? So that's just three aspects of a testimony, of testifying. Tell people about how God saved you. Tell people about how God is blessing you. And tell people what God is teaching. All right? Now, here's the deal. That telling, that testimony, that testifying has different effects on different groups of people. All right? So it depends on who hears it as to the effect it has. And we actually see specific references to at least four different groups or individuals in this, this, the, the rest of the passage down. And in each case, the testimony has a different effect and even a different purpose. So, for example, uh, we start off there in verse 9, okay? So who does he talk to? <clears throat> the first effect, <clears throat> the first effect that the testimony has is on the church. Verse 9, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. So he said this thing to who? Who's the first audience? It is the great congregation. Behold, I have a man at the door who wants to give us a package. He may, you can go get it. Yeah, that's okay. You can say, I, they may not let you take it. They may be like, I'm not handing this to some random dude in this place. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from who, again, the great congregation. Who's the great congregation? We are the great congregation, right? God's people are the great congregation. That's who he's testifying to. All right. So again, we might think, we might say, oh yeah, when you give your testimony or you testify about something, you're only telling this to lost people. This is about getting the lost saved or something like that, right? And the answer is, that's wrong. In this passage, he is testifying of God's great salvation to God's gathered people, the great congregation. The church needs to hear about God's deliverance too. The church needs to hear about God's salvation, of his faithfulness, of his steadfast love. 
right? We need to hear that. You say, oh, Ash, the church already knows all those things, right? They don't need to hear any more about all those things. The church already knows about God's salvation. The church already knows about God's deliverance, right? The reality is, is we need to be reminded of those things. We need to be made aware of God, that God is working and be encouraged by that so that we don't grow dull, so that we don't grow discouraged. It is easy, and I tell you, man, I go through phases of this, right, where you just sort of look around and you go, I don't know if God's doing anything. I don't know if he's doing anything. Um, It it seems like there's more bad things going on than there are good things, right? Is he even working? And the answer is, you know what? I need somebody coming along and saying, hey, God, God's doing stuff. Ash, let me tell you about how God's working in my life, okay? I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor, and I need to hear that. I need people speaking those things into my life. So he says, I didn't hide these things from the presence of the church. I didn't show up at church and go, they don't need to hear this. They already know. That's not his attitude. He says, no, I shared these things with the great congregation. I wanted them to know about your faithfulness and about your deliverance and about your great salvation. Okay? So the first group of people that need to be encouraged, they will hear the test of, the testifying, and they're going to be encouraged by that. There's the next individual that is mentioned in verse 11. And who is that? He starts off as for you, O Lord. So the second person who hears the testifying is God. God's the next person who hears the testifying. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. So it seems to be that the next person that he is testifying to, or at least is hearing his testifying, is God himself. He tells God about how great God is and the awesome things that God has done and how sinful and helpless he himself is. So he's announcing, he's heralding, he's proclaiming God's greatness and man's weakness to God. And so as we testify, it's not just the church that is edified, but it's God that's exalted by this, right? It's, that's basically what we're doing when we're singing praise and worship to God, right? We are singing and telling God about how awesome he is and what he has done. And the truth is, is that even if there were no people here, right? Um, we were, Cheeto and I were talking one day about, I think we were actually talking about this day. We were saying, hey, you know how many people are going to be here next week with BBS going on? And then Cheeto said, what would we do if we came in one night and nobody was here? What would we do? Would we just go home? And I said, no, we would still have service. You would play music and I'd sing and I'd get up here and preach. And I was like, for one reason, because we're recording it, and I don't want there to be a gap in the thing, right? That would be the the practical reason. But there's another reason. Because the most important member of our audience is here every single week. And that member of the audience is God. Because that's really who we are doing this for, right? We forget that sometimes. It's good that we are edified by being here. That's a good thing. That is not the main reason we are here. Right, churches get this messed up all the time. They go, "This church service should be about lost people." We should not. Nope, it shouldn't. And then they go, "Ah, I see. Church should be about the, the congregation." And the answer is, that's wrong too. Our worship is for God. We are doing this whole thing for an audience of one. 
Now, at the same time, though, others are blessed by that. And there's a function of how all of that comes together. And as we bless God's people, God is blessed in that. And that, so obviously we're not making that simplistic, but the truth is, is this, if nobody else was here, we would still testify to God about how awesome he is. We would exalt his character. We would bring praise to his name and God would take pleasure in that. I love, there's a simple quote that I repeat. Again, you've heard me say it before um, by uh, the the hymn, hymn, hymnist, um, the hymn writer, um, John Newton, who's the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, former slave trader, very interesting story. And he had a very simple thing where he basically sort of the summary of his understanding of the Christian faith. And he said, uh, uh, I'm a sinner. I'm a, I'm a great sinner. And Christ is a great savior. That was sort of the sum of his whole theology. I'm a great sinner. And Christ is a great savior. I feel like that's almost verses 11 through 13, how we could sum them up. God is a great savior. He is merciful. He is loving. He is faithful. And I, the psalmist, me, all of us, we are great sinners. Evil has encompassed us. Iniquities have overtaken us. They are more than the heads, hair on our heads, right? More to be counted than that. Our heart fails us. Okay, that's who we, that's what we're like. Okay, and God is this amazing, merciful, loving, and faithful Savior. And so what's the, what's the deal? What's the testimony that the, the psalmist is giving? He's saying, God is exalted. And at the same time, we are being sober in our self-appraisal, right? We are saying, we know the situation of our own hearts. We're confessing the situation of our own hearts. The psalmist is saying, this is what I'm like. And God is exalted. God is, is, is amazing. Okay. And so as we testify, we testify to the God's people. We testify to God himself. And then here's a third thing. The third audience and the third effect is we testify to put to shame the arrogant. To put to shame the arrogant. Verse 14. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. All right, here's the deal. That's going to rub some people a little wrong at first, okay? When you say the job of my testifying is to put the arrogant to shame. Because that's that's strong language in verses 14 and, and 15 when we read it, right? There's no way we can get around that. The psalmist asks that people would be put to shame, disappointed altogether, turned back, brought to dishonor, appalled, shamed, okay? Strong language. But notice some nuance here, all right? It's not us that is shaming people. It's not us that is condemning people. We leave those things in the hands of God, Okay? We testify about the goodness of God and his salvation, and we ask that the effect of that in God's timing would be to do these things. Because God is all just, he's all knowing, he is the ultimate avenger of himself and of the faithful. And so we are putting these things, we are not taking it upon ourselves to shame the arrogant. We're saying, God, as your place as righteous judge, you do that. But notice also there's a, there's different opponents in this passage with different levels of opposition to the psalmist. 
as as the representative of God's people. And, and we could call them different things, but let's give them three titles. First, there's the enemy in verse the first half of verse 14. The enemy is the person who seeks the psalmist's harm, right? This is someone who is literally out to get the psalmist, wants him dead. We'll call that person the enemy. Then there's another person who is maybe the, we could call the antagonist, the one who is happy to see the psalmist in defeat and misery. Okay, he's not going to go out like actually attack the psalmist, but he likes it. He thinks it's good when he sees the psalmist defeated. And then there is the scoffer, the one who mocks the psalmist and his faith, the one who says, aha, aha. That's who it's talking about. Okay, so here's the reality, man. We see these people. Okay, we know that these people are in the world. There are people out there in the world who want the destruction of the Christian church and Christian people. There are people out there who just think it's fun and funny when the church does stupid things and messes up. And there's other people who are always out there being scoffers and making fun of us, right? And, and, and finding some new reason to, to, to think and believe in their own hearts that, that we are idiots or uh, deluded or whatever else. Okay. Also notice. We don't bring the shame and dishonor on them by attacking their sin, per se, okay? This is not a passage where he says, God is so awesome, and let me tell you about all you dirty, nasty people out in the world. Let me tell you about your dirty, ugly nastiness, okay? And therefore, you'll be ashamed of it. That's not how they're ashamed. How have they been ashamed? What is he? What is the content of his testimony been up to this point? It's been how awesome God is. God is so glorious. God is so merciful. God is so kind. God is so loving. That's not to say that we ignore sin all the time or anything, but we aren't bringing shame upon them by telling the world how evil it is, but how good God is. And as the glory of God is seen, it shines this revealing light into the darkness of the human heart. Okay, And that will have one of two effects. As that light of the goodness and mercy of God, of the gospel itself, is shined on people through our testifying, the arrogant will be shamed. The arrogant will be dishonored. And one of two things will happen. Either that will affect repentance leading to faith, or it will affect suppression leading to condemnation. Right? As people see the goodness and the glory of God, they will either go, Man, I'm a great sinner, and God is a great Savior, and I need to turn to Him. And I am ashamed of the life I have lived. I am ashamed of the opposition to the one true God that I have shown, and I need to turn to Him in in faith and receive forgiveness. Or it will only make them double down on their mockery. Okay? In their shame, they will be angry and antagonistic towards us and to God, and they will double down on it. But in either way, God will be glorified. Right on the day of judgment, God will be glorified in that. Both for those who rebelliously pushed him away and for those who repentantly turned towards him. And so we've talked before, again, um, I'm kind of bringing up a bunch of concepts that we, we talk about kind of regularly, but we've talked about a lot about the difference between a hate at, at a church that that hates evil more than it loves good. Um, the church has a problem with that. I have a problem with that. My heart leans in that direction. I find myself oftentimes hating evil more than I do loving good. 
But we can bring evil to account by exalting God and his goodness far better than we can do it by simply decrying the evil. Does that make sense? Like, we will do a much better job of shining a light on the sin and ugliness of the world, not just by saying that's sinful and ugly, but by saying God is awesome. Look at the goodness of God and what he's done. So we put, our testifying puts the arrogant to shame. And lastly, one more group that we see, we testify to God's goodness uh, and, and we work for the sake of those who, by the working of the Holy Spirit, are actually seeking after God. And that's the last one we see in verse 16. What does it say? It says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad. So who's this person he's addressing? Anybody who seeks after God. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I'm poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. So this is probably the one that maybe we think of the most when we're giving a testifying or testimony or whatever. We're testifying so that the lost can get found. Okay? We're testifying so that those who are outside of Christ can know Christ and come to, to follow him. And the testimony goes out, he specifically says, to those who seek you, God. So certainly that includes all of us who are already believers in a sense and like we are seeking after God on a regular basis and trying to follow him and things like that. But I think it also points to the idea of a person who is exploring the truth of God, who is has an open ear and a receptive heart. Now, you may hear me say that and say, well, Ash, that doesn't jive with your Calvinism, right? Like you don't think anybody turns to... Uh, nobody has a receptive heart. We all, uh, we are rebellious. There's no one who loves God. There is no one who does righteousness right. What do you mean by a person who is a, a seeker? Okay. Well, we would say this. There are lots of people who are seekers after God, but it's the Holy Spirit that is doing that. Okay. So we don't think that that is just something that they like, you know, have on their own out of their own goodness or something like that. But what we do believe is that the Holy Spirit is starting to move in starting to convict them, starting to change their attitudes on things, to open them up to the gospel. And that at some point, if those persons, um, if God has called them, then those people are going to receive that gospel and believe. But that's what we're pointing to. As we testify, there are those people out there who are coming towards Christ. Maybe they haven't crossed the line of faith yet, but they are listening for those testimonies, thinking, Man, that's what I want. I want a life that that is like that. Um, I want to know the greatness of God. Um, I I desire the salvation that He provides. Um, I realize my own desperate need of that. I'm trying to rely on God for those things. And so He gives this great picture where He says, "May all those who seek You rejoice and be glad in You." May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. And then, you know what? He identifies himself with those people, I think, in a way. He doesn't just sort of say, yeah, yeah, all you lost, awful people out there that God can can save. What does he do again? He says, as for me, man, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. And that's the same kind of thing that we say to people. You would be surprised at how many people are out there who think they are too bad to be saved. And what does the psalmist do? As he testifies, he says, man, God, re rejoice and be glad. Great is the Lord. You know what? I'm just like you are. 
I'm, I'm poor and needy also, but the Lord takes thought for me, right? The Lord cares about me, even in my desperate situation. The Lord is my helper and he can be your helper. The Lord is my deliverer and he can be your deliverer. So what does he pray? Lord, do not delay. Come Lord, um, save this person, mend, correct, um, draw close and save these people. And so again, so that we see, I have this interesting thing where we go, man, I don't think we're testifying enough. Okay, we are not sharing what God is doing in our lives like it's a real thing often enough. And we're not doing it in a way where all these different groups of people are edified or convicted or glorified or informed um, the way God has called us to. And so again, I go, the question is for my own heart and for yours as well. I say, what's stopping us? Are we just scared of looking like weirdos, right? Are we scared of being that person standing in the piano line going, let me tell you about how God has blessed me today. I got up this morning and I opened up his word and he just started like throwing all these incredible things at me. And like there's people behind you in line going, and who is this guy? I don't care about these things. Is that what you're worried about? Are you worried that you'll be that weirdo? Um, maybe you are. And, and obviously there's all kinds of scenarios in which you might say the best case scenario right here. I don't want to, I don't want to, infringe on people's time, whatever. You have to do this just like all evangelism. You have to, do you have to be cognizant of what's going on around you? But man, I think it would be awesome if we just actually treated our faith like it was something that was real and not just something that was personal, right? Not just something that was in our heads and our own hearts, but something that we were willing to say, this is a real thing that's going on that God is actually doing. And the same way if there was a guy standing out in the parking lot handing out $100 bills, I would come in here and go, guess what, guys? There's a guy outside handing out $100 bills. Is this not incredible? Go get one. Why wouldn't you just say that about all the things that God is doing for you? The real things that God is blessing you with and teaching you and showing you in the ways that he's saying. So are we just scared to be weird? Or maybe it's because the truth is we just don't have that much to testify about. Because we're not in his word, we're not studying, he's not revealing things to us. We are so dull in our faith that we are not paying attention to all the ways that he's blessing. Like the story of our salvation is such a distant memory that it's just sort of like a generic kind of reality that we live in. Maybe it's because our communion with God in prayer, in his word, is kind of lackluster. And maybe we just don't feel like there's much to share. I can assure you that at one level that is not the case. It's just that we've forgotten it, right? We've gotten dull in those things. And we need to be reminded of it by being in his word, being in prayer, being in communion, being in fellowship with his church, and being reminded all the time of the goodness and the graciousness and the awesomeness of who God is and what he's done for us. So what I'm going to do is we're just going to go to the Lord in prayer. I hope that you'll pray and that you'll think on um, how to make these things and again, I'm doing the same thing about how to make these things just a little more real. Okay. How to talk about the way God is working and moving in our lives. Like it's an actual thing and not just uh, like the thing that we talk about in our weird little club that meets on Sundays at five or whatever. Right. Um, like it's actually a part of our lives every single second of every single day. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask that he would do these things for us. Ask that he would encourage us in them and embolden us, give us wisdom, give us meekness, 
but that we would be people who would testify. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we do testify. God, we, we declare um, all the innumerable blessings that you have poured out on us. God, most importantly, we pour out um, praise and honor and blessing and glory for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the ways that you care for us, that you provide for us. God, that you care for our children and our families. God, that you have provided opportunities so that we could um, provide for them through the means that you have established. God, that you've given us friendships and that you've given us a church and that you've given us safety and that you've given us um, a community uh, to live in and that we can raise our children in and and that we can be a part of. God, that you had given us the blessings of of friendship and, and things that we enjoy in a land that is free, that has opportunities. God, you've given us the blessings of of our senses, of the fact that we can taste good food and, and smell the flowers around us, God, that we can see beautiful sunsets, that we can hear incredible music, God, that you um, give us the warmth and tenderness of, of family and friendships and all the different things that you do. God, your blessings on us are too many to count. And God, as we turn to your word each and every day, God, every single word on every single page has something to teach us, to draw us closer to uh, yourself, to show us your character, to show us your salvation, um, to convict us of our sin, God, to encourage us, to show us the promises that you have for us in Jesus Christ. There are so many um, lessons and things that you can teach us every single day. God, your word is, it, it, it never runs out. We could study it every single second for the rest of our lives, and we would still not exhaust all of the things that you have to show us in that. God, with such an incredible way that you have blessed us, um, God, we confess that we are far too often silent about these things. We have kept quiet in the great congregation. We have not said these things and, and spoken these truths to, to our communities and to our workplaces and to um, our families and to our friends and to our church. God, we store them up. We hide them under a basket. God, help us to testify like people standing on a hill, um, declaring it to the entire world. We thank you, Father. We ask that you would work in us in these ways. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the close of the song. On behold, the wondrous mystery in the 
So uh, it's good to see you. Glad you're here tonight. Um, James, you're next week, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so James is going to preach for us next week. Um, we are going to be in the Psalms again. And so uh, and the week after that, Tim is up, right? And then I'll preach again, I think. And then Kyle's going to preach for us later in the month. 
And then, uh, and then I think I'll finish up the month or we might, since we started, when, since we jumped into the Psalm series a little early, we might jump into our fall series a little early too, maybe in the last week of July. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, if you wouldn't mind, so we kind of got a small crowd tonight. If we could kind of have all hands on deck to, to get everything uh, straightened up, that would be awesome um, and appreciated. Um, but hope you have a great week. Um, again, VBS all this week. If you've got kids who, who you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love to see them. Um, six o'clock meal, 6.30 start time, eight o'clock end time at Mother Church. Um, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you. Give you peace. See you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.